sbs.com.au. Welcome to the Noir Hear This podcast with me, Johan Gabrielsson. In each program, we showcase some of the best writers and meet the people behind the popular TV shows that have spread Nordic Noir around the world. Each episode is devoted to one of the Scandinavian countries, and today it's Norway's turn. This oil-rich nation, with its fjords and snow-covered mountain peaks, has something lurking behind the picture postcard setting. Shortly we meet writer Gunnar Stålesen, screenwriter German Eriksson and the man behind the pseudonym Samuel Björk. All three have dived deep into the Norwegian dark side and produced some of the finest examples of Nordic Noir. Gunnar Stålesen published his first book in 1969. He's been described as the grandfather of Norwegian crime fiction, having written 16 books featuring the detective Var Vium. Twelve films have been produced that follows Detective Vium through the streets of Norway's second largest city, Bergen. Here is an excerpt from Gunnar Stålesen's book Where Roses Never Die, where Detective Vium is nurturing the memory of his dead wife, Karin. For long periods I was feverish and uneasy, and when I finally got home and hit the hay, it was impossible to sleep. Often I wandered restlessly through the town at night, blessed by the darkness, but pursued by demons. They whirled around my head, whispering her name mockingly in my ears, Karin. Karin, Karin. I went to the tip of Nordness Peninsula, clambered down to what we, in our childhood years, called Bellingen. The remains of the old ballast key stood on the slippery rocks, listened to the waves splashing around my feet and thought how wonderful it would be just to let go dive in, start swimming, into the darkness, cross the border, to see if we would meet there after all, on the other side. But I didn't, there was still something holding me back. The Norwegian writer Junespe calls Gunnar Stålesen Norway's answer to Raymond Chandler. The Scottish superstar crime novelist Ian Rankin calls Gunnar Stålesen his favourite Scandinavian writer, describing Detective Vium as a man with very sharp teeth. So who is this Vium? Well, it turns out he's just a few years older than his maker. Because I wanted to make a distance between him and myself at that age, and I was... uh 
29, so I made him uh, five years older than me. Later, I thought that I should have made him five years younger because then I could have him with me even longer because he is the sort of chronological uh, detective that gets older from uh, time to time and uh, from book to book. Now, as you survive Viam, his ages with each book, but how does he age mentally? He was 34 then. He is 61 in the last book I wrote here because to keep him a bit younger still, the action in the books takes place some years ago. So the last one I published here in Norway took place in 2003. Of course, the difference between a man who is 34 and one is 61 is that he is more mature. He is perhaps not so strong physically as he was when he was 34. So when he confronts the bad guys, He had never been a very violent man, but he would have more trouble, I think, with defending himself at 61. So he take his uh, mobile phone and call the police uh, mm. instead of confronting them. But as an older man, what life lessons do you think he has learned and how is that portrayed in the books? He has had some experiences himself. Uh, he know how it is to lose people that are close to him. Mm. Uh, He had met a lot of tragic persons in tragic situations during all these years. Mm. So, and that gave him some experience in uh, handling people in that situation. What inspired you to create him in the first place? There was a double inspiration. Almost all that started to write crime fiction in Scandinavia in the 70s. We were inspired by the Swedish couple Schöval and Wahle, mm. which created uh, character Martin Beck, who uh, really changed crime fiction in many ways because they made it possible to write political fiction or even fiction that is critic to the society we live in, the time we live in. Uh, so that was one inspiration. But my literary preference when I read crime fiction, that was uh, the classical American private eye uh, novels of uh, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler and when it came to plot, Ross MacDonald. So what I tried to do when I wrote the first book about uh, Valguer was to make uh, a Norwegian version of Philip Marlowe and uh, Lou Archer. Um, and of course, there's a, a big difference between United States and, mm. and Norway in the 70s. So he, he never runs around with a gun. He is not drinking so much whiskey as the American And detectives <laughs> does, but he he drinks an aquavit, which is a Norwegian uh, liquor, yeah. and he has the the same sort of witty remarks as uh, Philip Marlowe and Luarcho, and uh, and I try to write more or less in the same style. Can you explain what is that style that fascinated you? To me, uh, Raymond Chandler was the Shakespeare of crime fiction. He has a marvelous uh, language. Before I started to write crime fiction, I published two uh, mainstream uh, novels, and I used a very poetic language in uh, those novels. And, uh, and I always want to have some poetry in my uh, prose, and that is what I found in Raymond Chandler. There is a beautiful poetry in some of his descriptions. There are also a lot of wit, and also the dialogue, which is typical American one-liners. That is not so easy to do in Norwegian, but when it comes to the what the book is about, it's perhaps more the inspiration from the social realism in Sjövala uh, Valö, and, and later on, as you can find it, with Henning Mankel and other Swedish and Norwegian writers, but I must say that I was before that. But I'm also curious about then, how was the literary Norwegian landscape when it came to crime writing? 
when you started Gunnar? Yeah, that was uh, quite different from today because uh, in the years uh, after the Second World War and up till um, the 1960s, crime had uh, no uh, high... uh, It wasn't looked upon uh, as an interesting literary genre. It was entertainment, and there were really not many Norwegians that wrote crime fiction. They published uh, two or three or four crime novels each year. And then I belong, of course, to the baby boom generation. So in the 60s, where suddenly there were a lot of uh, younger writers uh, starting, writing ordinary fiction and writing poetry and writing crime fiction. Also, in the wake of Sjöval uh, Valle and a new interest for crime fiction that, that developed uh, around 68, 69, uh, early 70s, there was a change in the climate because then at the university it was possible to, to study crime fiction, to write theses about uh, crime fiction. There were literary magazines who published uh, a special number about crime fiction. And the big newspapers started to uh, write criticism about uh, crime fiction, which they never did before because mm. that wasn't taken seriously. How do you kill off a character like Varvium? Or are you ever tempted to give him eternal life, Gunnar? Well, I have never been tempted to kill him. There is in the end of one book that the readers could uh, believe that perhaps this is the end of Varvium, but in the beginning of the next book, you will uh, see that uh, he has survived. At the moment, I have plans for at least three or four new Wagmium novels, and it takes me a couple of years uh, between each of them. So so then I will be closing 80 when (laughs) those are written, but I have no plans at the moment to to kill uh, Wagmium. Gunnar Stålesen. The TV show Manon caused heated discussion when it first appeared on Norway's public television NRK. It portrayed widespread financial corruption in the closed world of some of Norway's biggest corporations, but also criticized how Norway's media covered these stories. I asked the creator of Manon, Jermund Eriksson, if Manon is a good example of Nordic Noir. Yes, I think so. But I think the genre is uh, pretty wide. I think we're, as long as it's suspense-driven and it has uh, societal complications and it has to have a certain darkness to it. And uh, I think Mammon has that. Uh, We're not a regular cop show that most Nordic Noir is, but I don't see that as a weakness or make it less Noir or Nordic. Did you set out when you begin this journey of writing Mammon? Did you did you think this is the genre that we are going to work in? The Nordic Noir genre with the detective and the darkness and the complicated characters so forth? No, we were we actually started with this back in 2007. Then The Killing had just aired for a season and uh, me and my brother were trying to make a documentary about Things we thought were failure in modern-day journalism that are scandal-driven and where they don't 
follow the truth or the facts. They want to sell stories. But then we said, uh, why don't we make a TV show instead and do like them? And I don't think, I don't know when the Nordic noir expression came along as a genre, but obviously where we were inspired by the brilliant storylines in The Killing Season 1. The way they managed to mix a crime story with a political infighting in Copenhagen, we, yes, we watched that, but it took us, took us seven years to get it aired in Norway. So by then, The Bridge came along a year before us, I reckon, season one. Uh, that was a massive competitor, but we never knew about it. And we were obviously also really read and are into Norwegian crime fiction, which is amazing. Our biggest inspiration is obviously, since we were born in the 70s, uh, All the President's Men and Chinatown. Other noirs, the truly great ones. Those are the stories that really we see as ultimate thriller stories that set the standard for the rest of us. Were you inspired by real events taking place in Norway when you wrote this? Yeah. I worked in uh, communications, so I worked with a lot of banks and newspapers. In the early 2000s, we had the scandal that where a newspaper drove our health minister into committing suicide for crimes that uh, were not proven, and there were not real crimes even, but the pressure he was under, we released. Well, that was the inspiration for our documentary that we never made. Then we said, we have to make a story that we really have the flame alive within ourselves. So we wanted to make a story about brothers, since we're brothers, about two brothers that choose different paths in life, and that involved the massive failure within journalism that I think we now are getting a bit, a bit um, away from. <laughs> and uh, financial crime that uh, in Norway was quite present. We had the most corrupt stock exchange in, in Europe since we're a very little country. Mm. Nepotism and insider trading was a huge problem before it was digitalized. So the, those are the events that we're inspired by. And a newspaper that we really, really, really think went over the top. That's season one. Season two has another inspiration, and that's the conflict within the Norwegian Labour Party between the leader and the second in command. That is quite similar to the Gordon Brown, Tony Blair conflict that we really wanted to dive into and make a more, more political drama than season one is more a financial crimes drama. Uh, and season two, we wanted to dive into politics. Mammon caused a lot of debate in Norway when it came out. Can you tell me a little about that? Yeah, we write about journalism, and journalists are interested in that, but mm. it creates a lot of debate. There are good ones, and there are not-so-good ones. And the not-so-good ones got hung up in a lot of details that I said, that's not, our, that's not how we work. It's not like that at all. Although we had editors from the biggest newspapers and editors in NRK that read the script. Well, all the details fact-checked. So we, we got into a media frenzy, which is, people say it's a good thing for a show, but it's a lot of noise when it happens. And as a writer and producer, we're not used to being debated intensely for six weeks. I'm very impressed with Maman also when it comes to the characters. How did you find these amazing characters? Me and my brother work very much like the Danish producers, and that is based on the American model, where it's the writer and producer that 
really creates the character, briefs them, and says how we're going to introduce them. We base the characters on true people that we know, and we know that the actors know. And we also tell them which pop cultural characters that we think they can um, get some feelings, or well, a deeper feelings of what kind of characters we're trying to create. Then we, we are really, really involved in casting as well. We, we got all the actors we wanted. What pop icon did you say to the main journalist that he encapsulated? I've always liked uh, Jon Egan as an actor because uh, he has played a lot of things in Norway and you never know if it ends good or bad when you cast him. It can go dark and can, can go towards the light. And uh, that reminds me a lot of Jack Nicholson in Chinatown and other roles. So he has that balance within himself there. Always, you never know where he will go. And he, and he always gets stressed when I say... I always think of Jack Nicholson when I think of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's quite it's it's a very big shoes to fill. Jermund Eriksen. He's a singer, songwriter, a novelist, a playwright. He has translated Shakespeare into Norwegian. For many years, no one knew who the writer Samuel Björk was. Where did he come from? He seemed to have popped up from nowhere. His real name is Frode Sandeöjen. And here is an excerpt from his latest book, The Owl Always Hunt at Night. himself a minute to process it all. Not in front of the team. Never. Professional. Measured. Calm. Resourceful. It was why he was the boss. He never let the others see what the cases did to him. But he could feel it creeping up on him now. The memory of what he had seen in Hurim disturbed him greatly. They had had many cases. And Monk always felt compassion for the victim, the family. He felt the extreme tragedy that hit people who lost a loved one. But most of them had a rational explanation. Random arguments with unhappy outcomes. Scores being settled among the city's criminal gangs. Jealousy. Sometimes the cases he worked on had an element of humanity. Saying that a killing could be human did not make it acceptable. But in his profession, and he never said it out loud, but he often thought it, he was always relieved when there was, ultimately, an explanation he could understand. Not this time. This was not human. How come Norway produces such great crime stories? People seem to be um, sort of bewildered because we have this perfect society and this perfect country and we have all these uh, 
terrible stories coming from up here. I'm not sure. I think uh, it has something to do with our climate. Uh, it's dark, it's cold, and also with our literary tradition. You know, we have a lot of uh, old tradition of existentialism writing, and I think we, we kind of go into the crime genre a little bit different than the, maybe the English and the Americans do. I'm very curious about your latest book, The Owl Always Hunt at Night. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that uh, The Owl is uh, the second book in my series, and it's a story about my main characters, Holger Munk and Mia Krieger. And uh, they, they find a, a girl in, in the forest uh, with a flower in her mouth, and, and uh, it seems sort of kind of a satanistic ritual, but then they, they start to discover that there's, there's more to this story than, than just what it seems in the beginning. Because I'm curious to know, Frode, where do you get your inspiration? Where do you get the inspiration to write that book and, and your previous book? Ah, I'm not really sure. I think I have a twisted mind in some, in some way. Uh, it's, it's, it's very hard to say where my inspiration comes from. Uh, mostly I get inspired by my characters. I like to sort of give them something to do. Images, they just keep popping into my head. I, I just... Um, in my first book, I, I saw this terrible image of a child hanging from a tree, and I was like, oh, no, what happened here? And then, and, and in my second book, I, I saw this, again, terrible image of, of a girl laying in the forest, and I, I was like, I have to figure out what, what happened here. So this is what I do. I sort of give myself a, a mat mathematical question, and I, and I try to solve it myself. Is it true when you wrote your first book, I read somewhere, that you actually got frightened when you realized who the murder was? Yes, yes. No, I got, I got frightened, not when I realized who the murder was, but uh, what, what had happened, you know? Well, actually, yeah, that's when, I, when the murder, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I was laying in my, in my sofa, it was, it was nighttime, and I, I, I was thinking about writing a crime novel, and suddenly this story came to me, and I, I had to get up and turn on the light, and I, I walked around, and I said, no, 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 I can't do this, I can't do this. Your writing name, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, but your writing name is Samuel Björk. Why do you have a special name when you write your books? I wanted to uh, create like a Elena Ferrante character, like when you didn't know there was a mystery who, who wrote the book. And um, so I just made up a name that I, I felt sounded nice. And in Norway, the first year, nobody knew who it was. And it was a big commotion here. The papers and everybody tried to figure out who this Samuel Burke was. And no one during that time figured it out? I think after a few months, I was one of the suspects. <laughs> I, I, I think I spilled my guts when I, I had a bear with a friend who was a friend with a journalist. But, but they, they never figured it really out. So why did you come out? Why didn't you think, oh, this is fantastic. See, I can just do whatever I want. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do, but you know, <laughs> it's uh, in, in the book fair in Frankfurt that year, my book suddenly sold to 22 countries, like in a week, yeah. and suddenly there was uh, big companies involved, and they really wanted a face, they wanted someone to interview, they wanted someone to represent. So I had to make a choice, do I, do I keep it a secret still, or do I kind of take this money they offer and, and tell them who I, who I am? So when you came out, was it a lot of disappointment? Like, oh, it's him. Or were people surprised? No, I'm glad there was no disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, there was a, really a surprise. I mean, um, my mother's from a small town and, and they wouldn't let, she couldn't walk on the streets, you know. They, they would just stop her and they would just call her and like, what happened? What happened? So it was, oh. there was a, yeah, there, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun, actually. Do you think there is a relationship between writing and music? 
a good writer has a lot of musicality. I feel that my musicality is very, very helpful. I sometimes feel it's like writing a, a symphony, you know? Uh, the emotions and the, the how, what do you call it, the dramaturgical you know, build-up. Yeah, the structure. It's, it's very similar. It's very similar. It's, I feel it's very, very helpful, you know, that, that I have this music in me. Are there other writers who write in this genre, Nordic Noir, that inspires you? To be honest, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to read a lot of crime novels when I was younger, but then you sort of, yeah, you, you sort of... Uh, crack their code in a way, you know, when you, when you start writing yourself. I, I'm very inspired by other writers who have sort of a, a crime tension around their novels, but are actually not considered crime novelists like Donna Tartt or Brett Easton Ellis or William Gibson. They write exciting books, but it's not a crime book, if you, if you mm. get my meaning. Is it important for you to reflect Norwegian society in your books? I feel it's very important to reflect the, the society, maybe not the society like you see it from abroad, like this perfect, uh, <laughs> perfect country. But maybe I want to tell the stories for maybe the, the, the people who are not doing that well, you know. I, I've chosen their side. But Norway, as you said, we look at Norway and we think it's like an earthly paradise. You are so rich. You don't seem to have any troubles. It's an extremely nice country, the Scandinavian countries. I mean, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. We are extremely lucky we have, I mean, healthcare is good, schools are good, I mean, equality um, between men and women, very good. But then it's for some people, if you, if you fall out of this, I mean, we're so perfect and we're to uh, trained to be so perfect that if you fall out, you're suddenly very uh, alone. So, so these are the stories I kind of tend to want to tell. We heard Frode Sander Öyen. Thanks for listening to our Nordic Noir podcast. The readers in this episode were Achilles Jangoli and Frank Mattisen. Production is by me, Johan Gabrielsson. And technical production by Vlad Ladma. I hope you can join us for our next episode of Noir Hear This, in which we travel to Iceland and Finland. Did you know that Iceland has one of the lowest crime rates in the world? But more crime writers per capita. Conversely, Finland is considered the most violent country in Northern Europe. To help explore these issues, we meet the Finnish crime reporter turned crime writer, Jarko Sipila, Icelandic Agatha Christie expert and best-selling author Ragnar Jonasson, and Gunthorin Gudmundsdottir, professor in comparative literature at the University of Iceland. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, subscribe via your favorite podcast app and post a review on iTunes. Goodbye. SBS On Demand is the home of Nordic Noir Down Under. From genre-defining titles like The Bridge to the newest wave of Scandi thrillers, Get ready to binge with over 20 of the genre's best titles, including Trapped, Midnight Sun, Dicta, Modus, Below the Surface, and more. Buried secrets, buried bodies. Unearth all the best Nordic Noir on SBS On Demand now.